Hello there, welcome to Talent and Growth. I am your host, Paul Church, and of course, today we are replaying this week's webinar roundtable type conversation, and we were talking around how to set up a talent function from scratch. There's so much useful stuff here, regardless of what stage your talent function is is at. It's not just for people who are setting one up or about to set one up. Any stage, you're going to learn something about branding, candidate experience, uh, managing stakeholders, loads of good stuff in here. So before I get to today's episode, though, I just wanted to offer all our listeners of Talent & Growth, the Anemo Group, of which I am one of the co-founders, we're offering all our listeners a free talent acquisition audit. We will look at your outreach, your branding, how you're actually attracting people. Is your interview process inclusive? Is it efficient? We'll give you lots of free advice, lots of free conversation, and an actual report as well, which will compare your your business to your peers. So all for free, all for the listeners of TNG. If you're interested, drop me a note, paul at theanemogroup.com. Here is this week's roundtable. Good afternoon and welcome to our roundtable episode of Talent and Growth. Thank you very much for listening today live. If you are tuned into the webinar, if you are, please feel free to pop any questions or points in the comments box on LinkedIn Live. And if it's relevant, I'll absolutely direct it to our speakers today. And if you are listening on Catch Up on the podcast, obviously you can't do that because it's not live. But thank you for listening all the same. Um, So today we're talking about setting up a talent function from scratch. Now, of course, this would be a great episode or great conversation for someone who's about to go in to do this. But I think this could be really good for anybody who's involved in any kind of talent function, because you're going to learn learn about ways perhaps you can be doing things a little bit better or maybe doing things a little bit differently. And it's always good to hear around how other people strategize around how to go go go, go to work on this type of thing. So um, I'm going to get some introductions from our panel and also ask them just to briefly explain, I suppose, a little bit around their experience specific to this topic. And then, of course, we'll dive into the meaty detail as we go. So, uh, Leah, if we could start with you, just, just who you are, uh, what you're doing, just a little bit around, I suppose, your experience around this area. That'd be great. Yeah. So I'm Leah. I'm a French woman based in New York. Um, I joined a tech startup two years and a half ago. They were focusing on uh, mobile app testing. And um, I'm the solo HR there. So I've been there for two years and a half. Um, so I worked on many topics that we're going to discuss uh, today. And before that, I um, studied and worked in Seoul, in London, in, in Paris. Um, and so I joined them when we were at the seed stage. And we've been actually acquired uh, last week. So it's been uh, some crazy weeks uh, for all of us. And, uh, and I'm going to help them for the transition to, uh, to, to make them integrate in the, in the bigger company and then uh, find something else. Exciting times. Thank you so much, Leia. Well, brilliant. Um, Hannah, over to you. Same questions, please. I'm Hannah. You nailed that one to start with. Um, I'm currently based at Arenco. We are about a 70 headcount at the moment, so we're not necessarily at the complete beginning of setting up the talent function, but we're at a point where we're now transitioning into, um, I suppose, through the growth phase and how we adapt the talent function accordingly. Um, I've previously been in uh, similar organizations at this stage, but also much earlier in the process as well. So I've gone into an organization kind of sub 20 head count where there's no talent function whatsoever and taken it right from scratch. Um, but also been exposed, I guess, to sort of the other end of it through some mergers and acquisitions, which is more about adapting the talent function that already exists and how to consolidate a number of talent functions that are spread across different businesses and how to bring them into one new function. So quite a lot of different areas of the the journey and hopefully that will bring some insight today we'll see i'm absolutely sure it will thank you thank you so much hannah and last but not least ollie hi uh yeah i'm uh i'm ollie i lead the talent function here at uh at runa um we're a, a fintech scale up we've developed a, a payments uh, a payments platform um, I joined Runa in May 2021 as the first um, the first talent hire when we were about 40 people. Um, over the past two years, we've gone through new funding rounds, which has obviously fueled our growth, and we're at about 140 now. And during that time, um, I've had the opportunity to to build the talent team across um, initially tech and uh, and then commercial um, up to up to eight people. Um, 
uh, whilst going through that journey, looked at um, and, and brought in different solutions, um, you know, like uh, embedded models to facilitate that that gap. Uh, in the meantime, and yeah, we we're we're now a team of um, of seven across um, across tech and commercial. So hopefully, I can kind of add some value in terms of this discussion. Um, what's gone well, what's gone, ha what hasn't, and what we've learned across uh, along the way. Um, but um, yeah, excited to um, to join the conversation. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, I'm sure everyone can agree we're in safe hands today with our panellists. So thank you all for joining us. So Ollie, let's stick with you. We'll dive into the questions. So typically when we're at this point where we're thinking, right, we are going to build a talent function from scratch, that probably means the business that we're in or we're joining is scaling quickly um, and they need to attract top people. So bearing in mind, that's usually the context. What are the key steps and priorities for you that we need to consider when starting this function from scratch? So I think taking a more idealistic like approach to it is that hopefully when you're assessing and, and you're you're looking at um, the plans and the growth plans of the business, you can spend some time. And what's really important is spending time on what that headcount plan looks like over the course of a, of a year, um, building kind of a forecast hiring model breaking that down into kind of a quarterly period um, so that you can really assess not only when you want to be starting kicking off, but also looking at when you need people to start in um, and agreeing that from a budget standpoint, agreeing that with your Exco team and the, and the business sponsors within that. I think what um, another important aspect of it is to assess the historic kind of data, which I think we'll just touch on a little bit more later on. But once you've got that plan, you can then really identify who you're going to need, when you're going to need them and using the data that you can gather as well, that historic data, you can plan what the timelines are to hire these people, when they're gonna be in, and how much resource you need to allocate to that. So for me, that was the, the key thing, so that you can really try as best you can to create kind of a foolproof, scalable uh, model for, for long-term success. Is it feasible to do this when, I uh, say, just stick with you on this one, Ollie, just a follow-up question. Is it feasible to do what you're saying uh, when we need to really hit the ground running? Because often we're at this point, we're like, hang on, we need 20 people yesterday. Uh, in this situation, I think that that's, well, that's often the case. Um, and it's uh, and that's still consistent now for, for us is that we can, you know, we'd, we'd hire people yesterday if we could. I think the, the the thing to appreciate and understand as a sole talent person within a business that needs to scale quickly is that you can't do everything yourself and you need to utilize different models and different resources to be able to um to be able to plug that gap in the short term whilst you're planning in the long term um so um don't overload yourself in terms of doing the strategic elements as well as being hands-on as well as doing the sourcing and managing stakeholders like take the top half of that take the project management view of it, manage the stakeholders and get support elsewhere, whether it be agencies, whether it be an embedded model, so that you can really start to um, to, to hit that market early. Cool. Thanks, Holly. Leia, what, let, let's go to you on that. Is there anything else you think or anything from your own perspective that you think we need to be thinking about this in this situation? So, yeah, I totally agree with what Holly said. Uh, something I could add probably is, uh, for me, that, that was key when I joined uh, Waldo, uh, uh, the, the starter that I'm working on. Um, it's to have a very good alignment with the hiring managers and the founders, you know, clearly define what they're looking for, because sometimes they don't know what they're looking for. So you, you cannot just like um, um, uh, invent or you, you really have to have key metrics the roadmap, uh, when do we need these people and exactly what they're going to do. So I think that was key for me. Um, and then you need to, I guess, especially once you want to scale, you need to go fast. I guess the the, the learn fast, fail fast is, is a bit cliche, but this is really something that we all been through, I guess. You always need to iterate. So if something is not right, something is not working, just don't spend too much time on it and just uh, move on, start a new strategy. Um, and yeah, don't be shy to start all, all over again. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and it's a good point you make. I think the the element of um, it's important in most situations, but certainly in this situation, that we identify what the, the problem is that the hiring managers have rather than just go with what they perceive the solution to be. Because their, their solution may be, let's hire five people. And it might be, we're actually, if you hire three people and take these two people from over here, then, then that's going to be the better way to do it. So I think that is really, really key. Hannah, Hannah anything to, to add from you on this one before we move on to, I suppose, the next element? 
I think everything that we've heard is is super relevant. The only thing I guess that I would add is we have this tendency when particularly we're completely alone in the role to kind of panic and think, you know, I'm I'm an island of a talent function. And that's actually the complete opposite to the way we should be treating it. So I think taking the time to identify the correct support network to deliver this really early is key. And what I mean by that is both potentially to Ollie's point, external support network, whether that is, you know, an RPO model, whether that's working with agencies or whether that is identifying and building relationships to, to Leah's point with the people inside the business that are gonna support this function. So if I look at the external point of view, I don't have time if I'm a sole talent manager to articulate the culture of our organization or the mission of our organization to a new recruiter every single time. What I want to do is invest time at the beginning, identifying the right partner and then educating them to the point where they know almost as much as I do about our business. They're a complete extension of me. So when I need support, it's a case of me saying, hey, um, I need to replace Bob and they know who Bob is. They know who Bob reports to. They know exactly what Bob's role is. They understand what Bob's team needs, if Bob needs an expansion of the team and and they're really an extension of me already. So identifying that support network really early, internally identifying who the champions are within the business. We all know there are hiring managers that will do the absolute bare minimum to get their hire in and they will expect a lot from you as your your talent function but we also know there's some real champions in the business that will drive your message they will share your linkedin posts they will send you people from their network so identifying internally who's going to champion your message as well and working collectively and and realizing that you're not necessarily an island even though you are a lone talent manager at that point yeah, 100% agree. So setting aside that time at the beginning to forge relationships with, with suppliers, agencies, vendors or whatnot and internally is going to really pay off later on because, uh, you know, yeah, relationship building, stakeholder management is such a key part. And, and Hannah, just to stay with you on this one. So let, let's talk about candidate experience. We've, we've, we've run whole webinars on, on this topic, but I think it's worth dipping into. So how can how can organizations at this kind of stage they're at where they're just setting up this function and, and you know presumably you're the person doing it how can we start looking at candidate experience and taking into consideration all the things that uh we need to in terms of different regions and cultures and whatnot to make sure that candidate experience is a good one for the hiring process i think the first thing and, and everyone's probably already aware of this is just be really really clear in managing expectations if i can say a point of advert or if i can articulate um to the recruiter so that message lands as soon as they speak to a candidate what we want our process to be then they have an expectation of who they'll speak to the tone of the conversation the length of the conversation but also i think people are really really forgiving if you're honest about where you're at in your journey so i think it's totally fine to say we're not perfect. We actually want your feedback from this. This is what we expect the process to look like. This is what we will ideally aspire to have achieved by the end of the process. But we are a new organization. We're still in the process of training our hiring managers. We're still adapting what the process and the policy will look like. It may fluctuate at some point, but I think taking the time afterwards to get the candidate feedback and allow space for that is how you perfect it moving forward. But I think that the biggest thing is is managing expectations, but doing it super honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Ollie, in terms of that candidate experience piece, I suppose, similar question, but also how, how if you're going into a function to kind of set this up and a business to set this up, how high up the list of priorities is that candidate experience? Or is that something we start refining a bit later on when we've got, when we've got some other things done? It's front and centre. I think it's something that's that's um, incredibly important because if you if you're getting your if you're not getting your candidate experience right, then then the rest of the efforts that you're making from a hiring perspective could be wasted um, because you're going through the process of um, interviewing and and offering and you know uh, and things like that and and really your candidate experience is really what kind of sells you as an organisation, right? And um, look, we we were a startup. We still are a startup. I came in when we were Series A. We, you know, we're still very much building the plane as we're flying, right? So you can't. Uh, it's not as 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 simple as and, and as theoretical to say do it all at the beginning. But I think coming into a talent function and making sure that um, 
the first part of your role is really around discovery and understanding what things look like and how things work. And certainly from a process standpoint and investing that time with your hiring managers, with uh, the process itself to, to form that defined process for a particular role will then set the foundations for you to have a uh, to, to, to have a good candidate experience. Um, so it, it's it's very important. It shouldn't be an afterthought. Um, and certainly from from our standpoint, from a talent team, um, we had an offsite last week whereby, you know, it was something that was um, that, that, that we measure and present to back to the business from a, a CMPS standpoint. So taking that to the next level, really. And uh, I would always say it should be front and centre of a plan from a talent perspective. Okay, we're prioritising candidate experience. We're doing it. We're going to make it better. Leia, what, what, what for you are the, the, the first things you're going to do to make sure this is on point? Um, yeah, I, I'd say the, the, the most important, just to sum up a little bit what uh, Hannah and, and Oli said, is to be really, you know, uh, flexible and transparent from the beginning with the candidates. So, for example, we, I hired mostly engineers, um, so we, we, we really looked for the best of the best. And, uh, and these people, they have ton of options. If you want the best of the world, they have ton of options, no matter the economic market, no matter the layoffs, no matter what's going on, they are going to have ton of choices. So you want to be as much flex flexible as, as you can with them. Um, meaning that um, if you need to spend three weeks to do a hiring process, we're going to spend three weeks. You need 48 hours to get an offer. Okay, I'm going to make sure that my team is aware that we're all on it. And if we want you, we're going to get you. Um, and then regarding the transparency, exactly what Hannah said, share the good, the bad, and the ugly. Obviously, you know, we were a very st small startup. Uh, I joined them as the 12th employee, where we've been uh, uh, um, until probably 26 employees at one point. Um, and so, yeah, we're small. It's messy. Uh, you don't expect the same processes as uh, uh, in a bigger enterprises. So, so yeah. Fantastic. And Leia, so your business wants the best of the best. Software engineers, always tough to get. So that's that's the that's the bread and butter. That's why probably someone's brought you in to set this function up so you can get the best of the best. How are you going to effectively manage all the other things like hiring, onboarding, employee engagement, um, candidate experience? How, how are you going to work out how to prioritise what things and probably deliver it all? Because that might be what your stakeholders are expecting, everything at once. So, yeah, as we said um, a bit before, you cannot do everything perfectly and you cannot do everything on your own. So make sure that you have your team uh, speaking about your culture, um, your co-founders, um, um, speaking about your employer brand online, uh, making sure all uh, during the hiring processes, um, everybody knows um, what they need to do. Uh, everybody is involved in the process. Uh, make sure that you have a lot of support around you. And then it really depends on the roadmap. I, I really feel that depending on my OKRs for the quarter, um, is my priority attracting talent? Is my priority taking care of people? Um, and then you really need to balance this. Uh, you cannot do everything at once. So I think the key to not get burned out <laughs> is really to prioritize and, uh, and make sure that uh, you know uh, what are your OKRs and that they are aligned with the companies, obviously. Fantastic. Okay. So, Hannah, moving on, what, what are some of the, and I, I love finding out about new tech and things to make my life easier, as I'm sure a lot of people are. So, is there any, what, what are the, the essential tools, platforms, tech that you would take with you into a new business um, to set up a talent function that you think are must-haves? And of course, I'm sure there's a few new additions to this list with the, with the influx of AI and, and the impact that's having. So, is there anything, um, anything that, you know, you, you know, two or three must-haves? So I think that there's two ways of looking at this. You can absolutely have all singing, all dancing and best case scenarios, you've got the money and the resource to implement all of that as soon as possible. But there's also a trap of falling into uh, this want and desire to have everything and for forgetting that actually having a few really solid basic pieces in place that you can scale up with you is actually uh, is also an equally um, acceptable method of, of, of uh, I suppose, combining your people aspect of this with your tech aspect of this. Mm -hmm. the, the one thing that I would say is it's a super important decision. And I've been with Arenco for a short period of time now, but what we have identified is, is the, the tech that we've got in place isn't super and had that decision, I suppose, been 
been made in a slightly different way, we wouldn't have this extra workload of now migrating across to something else, but also the amount of manual work that we have to do now, and, and as a small people function, that's hugely draining on your time, doesn't compare to the additional cost that it would have been to have that functionality. So you could fall into the trap of having too much, but you can also fall into the trap of very early saying on, we're strapped for resource, we don't have the cash, and taking the bare minimum, your time is money. And especially if you are a single person running a talent function, you want to be able to pull a report in 20 minutes, not have to manually pull that data in three hours, for example. So I think there are a ton of things that we could go into in terms of different AIs and, and different softwares. But I think the important mentality around this is your decision making, first and foremost. Um, one thing from a diversity uh, and inclusion perspective, if you have the ability to anonymize this process, then you can talk about that, which I think is really important um, from an early stage. I would encourage that as much as possible. Um, the other thing from a diversity and inclusion process uh, perspective in the process, I would really strongly encourage you to use a gender decoder for your language, because mm. this is something that's really, really hard to, to, to do as an individual person. I'm a female. It's going to stand to reason that my linguistics are probably more naturally female if I'm dealing with a hiring manager that sits uh, in a role with a predominantly male team that construct that job description or that advert with me, it's going to stand to reason that the language is more suitable to a male audience. Or, for example, if they come from a different cultural background from me, then there is going to be an element of that. So if you've got some software in place, and there's lots of free resources to do this mm -hmm. as well, I would definitely encourage running it through some software that can help with those things that your human eye just doesn't instinctively pick up on. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think there's Gender Decoder. Uh, there's a couple of free platforms you can use to put in adverts. Uh, you ChatGPT, you can do it as well, um, I think, which is which is pretty good. So, yeah, cool. Thanks, Hannah. And I think, yeah, that mentality aspect of don't try and find a tool to make your life easier with everything, I think it, that, that that's important. I think um, an important message. Ollie, Desert Island, Disc, Desert Island Discs, Discs time, but we're not taking discs. We're taking software. What are we taking with us? Uh, well, I, I, I don't know if the, the, the others are a bit like me, but coming in, you had a kind of a Google sheet and a very basic ATS. And it was um, really diving into the weeds to understand where the business was, you know, based on historic uh, data. And I think the important thing is, like, evaluate the problem that you need to solve before you get blinded by all of the new technology. There are things that will solve the problem, but don't be too swayed by um, things if there isn't a necessary need for it. As, as I say, we joined at Series A, we didn't have budget to throw behind all of these tools and technologies, but where it did become a case to make and where the business plan came in is because the time evaluation against the, the you know, against the cost and, and how that was going to help moving forward. Tools that we found really useful and, and it touches on the diversity side um, as well as the inclusivity. We use a tool called Evidenced for our um interview recording um, and what that enables us to do is remove bias from our from our process we can use it for interview training um for um uh, for the for the interviews that we've got um and it's something that features a lot within our bar raiser model so people will go through that process it also integrates it with um with your ats and you can use it as a um uh as a tool when it, it takes the um Oh, I can't think of the word. Uh, essentially, it takes your notes for you. What's this? Uh, what's the word? I can't think of it. Um, Transcriber, transcript. Yeah, transcription. Yeah. So it's got that. Yeah. So that's been something that's really useful. Um, great platform um, uh, there, and you can analyze all of your data on it. The other one that we found really useful, useful from an onboarding and touching on your last question, from an onboarding and um, uh, a candidate. Um, uh, net promoter score is screen loop um so we've we've used that for our um for our cmps and our and our automated onboarding um so you know uh, it it means that it can kind of take some of the automated tasks away from the team away from the people team and then focus on the bigger ticket items and lean in on that as and when need be but for me they're they're outside of your 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 standard you know your your ats and things like that they're, they're two tools that have certainly been um things that have enabled us from a talent function perspective. 
And just, just so I'm clear, we've, so we've uh, evidenced, so that presumably it transcribes the interview and then gives advice as to what things could be could have been said or done differently. Is that what you mean? Less so advice uh, in terms of it, but it, it, it analyzes the kind of the talk time. You can then make notes in terms of what was positive, what was negative during the interview, any flags, anything you want to skip back to. And then ultimately it produces a video, produces all, the, all of the data. You can click on certain points of it to be able to, to jump to, to various points. Um, on the transcription, you can click on the point you asked the question, it takes you straight to that point. So it's it's very good for us when we're reviewing a whole process or if we're re reviewing feedback so that we can more objectively assess against um, feedback and, and, and make sure that it's it's um, it's valid. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm playing around at the moment with MetaView um, and, and Otter, MetaView being a transcribing platform purely for recruitment. And so it, it summarizes your candidate conversation with the questions. You can, you've got a chat GPT, whatever element built in, so you can ask it, oh, what did I say here? What happened there? It also gives you, it, once you've built up quite a bit of data, you can then, um, uh, like, it will start saying, how, you know, giving you kind of feedback on how long your interviews are, how much percentage of the time you're spending talking yeah. compared to them. That's really cool. Otter, I use, I used anyway, and I use that to record podcasts as well. Put the transcript into that, so I use it for candidate interviews, and it does the same thing. It can summarise how your candidate interview went, and you can ping that over to the line manager. But I also use it for the podcast, so I can even almost go. I haven't published this yet, but I could transcript, put this transcript, this conversation into Otter, um, and it would then, I say, now write me a blog about it, it'll write me a blog about it like that, so it's pretty, pretty handy as well. And and screen loop, so that is uh, in onboarding, you mentioned, so that is you mentioned, I suppose, the, the screening side, but is it presumably with candidate experience and keeping them engaged as well, or is it just the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah? They, they they do offer a similar platform as well from a from an interview recording perspective, but from um from the CMPS side, it integrates into the the ATS, um, and essentially, if somebody is successful, then it will send out a, an automated survey and give you a score with a like a really well presented dashboard, and look on the other side as well, it's it. I think you, you're only as good as the learnings that you have, right? And how you how then put you put them into action. So we want to understand the good, the bad, and the ugly, and when things have gone wrong, more so when then things have gone right, so we can do something about it. So breaks it down in a really good way. You have a score. You can benchmark yourself against other companies, um, which is really useful. Um, uh, so yeah, that's on the on the CMPS side, and it's something that we factor into our our kind of monthly and, and, and quarterly reporting to our Exco. Um, and then on the referencing, yeah, um, the referencing is, can generally be quite a, a manual, laborious process. And this mm. um, it kind of takes that and, um, and has lots of features around that as well that, that can, can really enhance the process. Cool. Thanks, Ollie. Leia, any uh, software tech that, you know, you, you're taking with you for this? For, yeah, the, the, the really essential ones for me were definitely Notion at first. Uh, I've been mm. a huge fan of Notion. We used to do uh, so much on Notion, actually. Um, and for a few months, uh, we, we only had that uh, at the beginning. Then, of course, agreed implementing an ATS um, as soon as we can. We used Greenhouse. Uh, it's definitely uh, something uh, really important to, to make sure that you keep your pool of candidates, with, uh, which we didn't really do uh, on Notion. Now we have, you know, ChatGPT, uh, LinkedIn, obviously, are key. We use the BitInterseller for automated emails um, that you can also personalize. Obviously, this is key. Um, and then um, I know that, Oli, you shared a, a software regarding um, a candidate experience. I can't remember the name. Um, but we used Guy, uh, Guide uh, at Waldo. And it's basically a kind of gamified um, thing where a candidate has a personalized hiring process. So you, know, you have the name, you have you know the, their team, you have, um, and each step um, gets unlocked after a new interview. It's linked with your, it's integrated in your ATS. So when you know you you change someone to a new uh, interview, uh, the guide automatically um, automatically gets uh, updated. The candidate receives it. Knows or she knows what. Uh, in the next step is anybody using anything for sourcing like source whale gem anything like that yeah i used the interseller yeah. basically you know, that, that's kind of the same as gem that's, um, oh got you okay and yeah get your you know emails from um from linkedin 
And does like the sequencing and stuff like that. Does it do yes. that? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I've just started using Sourcewell. It's really good. And I'm, I personally, I hope I didn't get thrown off LinkedIn, but I'm just sick of LinkedIn mm. Recruiter. And I just think <laughs> it just doesn't doesn't have the same impact anymore. Um, emails are just people are just sick of them. Whereas you get email emails are so much more powerful when you get the sequencing set up. It makes your life a lot easier. Okay, um, Leia, let's talk. Uh, branding so what what strategies can we create to to get that strong employer brand out there that's going to attract all those tough people you're trying to get in contact with so from my experience um especially at the, at the seed stage when i joined i think you know nobody knows you <laughs> nobody knows your company so your um your big piece of employer brand are definitely your um your um employees um, they will speak around uh, them about how you do things, how you treat them. And the best hires that you can get, at least from my experience at the very beginning of this type of stage, um, are the referrals. So definitely uh, treat your people right and they will make sure to, to, to bring amazing people uh, in your company. And then we invested um, at one point in some employee brand uh, platforms like Built In, The Muse. You have also Welcome to the Jungle, uh, more in Europe. Uh, I think these are uh, great pieces uh, that can help you uh, to make sure that people learn about you, try to post on LinkedIn. I, I've been, I tried to, you know, I know it's tough. It's always an uncomfortable place uh, to start, um, but people need to hear you. So just do as much noise as you can. <laughs> so, so people, uh, so people want to join your company. Fantastic. Thanks, Leah. Hannah, anything, any tips around the branding piece? Yeah, I, I definitely have to echo what Liz just said. Um, I think there's probably a, a common misconception that as an organization, to get employer branding right in the early days, you have to be super, super active as an organization on social media. And we know just as having a small talent team puts limitations so does having a small marketing team on what you can do. So often you'll find if you're the, the lone talent um expert within the organization there's probably an equally small marketing team to support this there might not be a social media manager it might be a solo marketing manager and so probably leading on i think what leah said i think using what your people are saying on social media is a great way to get this out there so if your people are engaged with you if your people are active if they want to go onto their linkedin or any of their social platforms and mention and tag your organization name there is nothing better for uh for gaining a referral than it coming from within that network because they've already spoken about you so i definitely think um encouraging that kind of employee voice is super super important um i also think there's common misconception that this can take loads of money and loads of software um but there's also a ton of other ways that your people can be heard and seen whether it is them taking part in in a webinar for example or being on a panel talking on a podcast and being active within the social circles and the networks of, of their niche and um, i think the, the the more that comes from your employee particularly in the early stages the better from an employment brand perspective 100% agree. Uh, employee application is, is one of the most organic ways to get the good branding out and good people in. Are you doing anything? Are you doing anything to encourage them? Or how are it? How are you encouraging people? Whilst what you want it to be authentic, but how are you encouraging your people to kind of maybe start, you know, just put a tag out about Renko and just you know say we're good or whatever? Is it how are you doing that? Yeah, I think it is a, a tough balance to strike because you do want it to be organic. You want it to naturally mm. come from them. But sometimes we all know it needs a little bit of a nudge. I think the first and foremost way, um, again, probably tying in a little bit with what Leah said, is being the example of doing it. So if they're seeing that you're comfortable to talk about your organization and post um, things about your, your social or your culture or your hiring or whatever it is, if they're seeing that coming from you, and um, but then also getting key people in the business to tell me to do so back to that kind of support network that I talked about in the beginning. If I've got uh, a couple of heads of the C-suite, a couple of directors that I can pull in a favor from, but also if I'm best mates with the new guy, like, I can say, hey, how are you finding it? You've been here a couple of months. Like, do you think other people in your network would want to work here? Like, this is the a, a great way to reach them. I, I can get 
them to to speak as well by building a relationship with them too so being the example having other people that you can kind of call in a favor from to be the example but then organically hoping that that will transpire to all levels of the business from there you're standing over them at their desk so you know if you put a little linkedin post out there just a tag you're doing absolutely Absolutely. it's like an old victorian school i'm standing there every (laughs) single day um, no, absolutely not. I think the other the other aspect of it is encouraging it when it does happen. So mm. if someone from your organization has posted something, like engage with it, like it, comment, make sure that they feel good for having done it. Like there's got to be a feel good factor in it. We all kind of as humans instinctively like to be told that something we've done is good. So encouraging it by, by giving a bit of a pat on the back, by giving a thumbs up, like by commenting and saying great to hear your opinion like that will encourage repeating behavior positive reinforcement yeah absolutely all all, all for that ollie anything for you in terms of the branding piece uh i just completely agree with what's been said to be honest i think um uh really building relationships internally and i think that talent obviously sits as a central function within the organization and utilizing the different skill sets that you've got within the business. So forming a close partnership with marketing to understand how they can support this. A big thing for us was um, recognizing people internally and and spotlighting um, on people within the organization, whether that be the work they've done, promotions, you know, delivery, a particular milestone. Um, Was there an event from a business standpoint that we wanted to talk about? Um, really highlighting those things. We did bring in some external support uh, at a point and then use that as an opportunity to upskill somebody within our direct talent team that had a, a motivation to go down that route. So using it as a career progression opportunity for somebody internally who's now producing kind of fantastic content across different pillars. Um, you know, our big pain point was en- hiring engineers. So we really worked with the engineers to encourage a blog post and uh, mm-hmm. and. and and build that out um and um you know we, we were seeing that it was getting a huge amount of engagement so we continue to do that continue to do that now really but touching on what hannah said really you really need to build those relationships internally show people the value in it um and i think you know having the right people in the business that are working towards the goal especially within a startup will go above and beyond to to amplify kind of the brand and at the same time it's people's own personal brand right um, I think it's statistically um, uh, engagement is better when it comes from an individual's, um, you know, within the business uh, account. So it's also that incentive for people within the business to to boost their own personal brand within the market, as well as um, as a knock on for that is is also for the business. So um, really breaking that down as to what the why and and how you're going to do it um, is is important. But yeah, I think largely everything was uh, was was covered by. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the piece around getting engineers to write blogs and things like that is so important. I think typically when I go into work with businesses, often they're between 20 and 100 people and very often their websites are tailored purely at the their clients or their customers so it's all about they're all they're targeting their websites at the clients and the customers asking what they're asking what the ceo what the number one problem they've got is oh we can't find good people and this is when when we need to change the mindset to actually making sure our website is a shop window not just for our customers but for the people we're looking to attract to the business and things like blogs videos about what it's actually like to work here why i enjoy it and actually seeing some personability and all this kind of stuff will actually probably help you on the client side as well by the way because it opens up eyes to what your business is actually like as human beings um, it, it, it's so so important but i see it so often companies don't put any emphasis on that because they haven't thought about it from that point of view before um let's talk uh forecasting and budgets ollie so when we're setting up a talent function how I suppose in your experience, I suppose what has been your experience with this actually? Because I suppose I jotted down a question around this, assuming that you've got one, you've got a budget, and you, you know, because you may not, you may go into the business and think, okay, you might have to ask, okay, what's my budget here, guys? You know, what, what's happening? So, what, what's your experience been with budgeting first of all, and then I suppose how how, how have you managed that forecasting, and what has been the expectant expectancy on you? Yeah, so um, I think again, it's quite it's it's certainly the way that anybody wants to come in and have that as a first conversation so you can kind of build things out from the get-go but the reality Mm -hmm. is is that there's going to be a huge amount of reactive things and things needed to be hired yesterday and there may not be a plan from from the beginning um 
when I joined Runa, we had about 10 roles open, primarily focused on engineering, and we knew that that was going to be the priority. As we then uh, evolved as a business, it was a, a lot around partnering with partners, partnering with the finance team and the Exco team to understand what were the specific needs for the business. How are those people going to contribute to the success of the, and the objectives of the organization? How are they going to tie to the OKRs and the overall delivery? And what's the critical need so that you can prioritize those from a capacity standpoint, as well as um, uh, the, the quarter in which we're going to hire them? So the two conversations, the, four, the, the actual tech talent headcount forecasting plan and the budgeting formed as the same conversation. Um, and off the back of that initial conversation, we had bi-weekly, which then evolved to kind of monthly conversation so that we're regularly checking in on this because that you, you, you have a plan, but then things change. People leave, you know, people get promoted. So you're constantly needing to adapt that. My recommendation is that you've got those regular touch points. You've got that regular cadence of meetings that you're preparing for things, you know, as best as you can, but knowing that things are going to change. But I think if you can do that, set that expectation throughout uh, throughout a, a period of, of, of the year or six months or however long you're planning for, depending on the budget that you've got, um, and work back from that, that should set you up for success because on the back of that, that you can then plan the headcount within the team accordingly. You can manage the, the expectations of the hiring managers um, and um, yeah, it should should set you up for success. But that I, I almost stop myself when I'm saying that because it's such an idealistic way of looking at things. And really, is it is it ever as clear cut? Certainly not not in my experience. But um, you know, it's part of the fun of being in the startup, right? Things change, and you, you roll with it. Absolutely. Thanks, Solly. Uh, Leia, what's your, what's your experience been of forecasting and budgeting, and, and how's that looked for you in, you know, in recent years? So way more messy for myself than for Ali, I think. Um, uh, when I joined uh, Waldo, we didn't have a CFO. Um, we had an amazing CEO and CTO, but they're not CFOs. Sometimes it's very tough, uh, you know, when you uh, raise a lot of money, you have so much cash, what do you have to do? It was also another economic market where you, we used to, you know, um, spend so much money all the time. Uh, so I guess I was quite lucky to not have too much budget. Uh, but what I said is that from day one, I wanted to have advisors and speak um, to as much people as I could, see what, uh, what was done in other uh, similar stages um, uh, startups to gather as, as, much get, as much data as I could um, um, to make sure that I could um, um, analyze and, and see what we could need um, in terms of uh, talent acquisition, uh, develop, development, retention, um, and all other, all other relevant um, HR metrics. And then, as Oli said, obviously, um, really engage with, um, with, with stakeholders to me is key. Um, involve them, the, the, the senior leaders, the department heads, finance teams, if you have one, um, and, and make sure that we, you're all, all aligned. Fantastic. Thanks, Leo. And Hannah, finally, from you, just on the, on the budgeting and forecasting side, what's it look like for you uh, at Renko or previously? It's been really varied. Um, and I think the thing that we need to probably accept in any people function, whether it's talent or other elements of people in HR, is that there are just too many variables with people to really forecast exactly. So a lot of this for me is about your attitude to flexibility and adaptability. Uh, adaptability losing my ability to speak english now um but i think um to to both the points of of leah and ollie communication is so key on this if i have a budget which is set up at the beginning of the financial year it's extremely unlikely that that's going to remain the same throughout for a number of reasons we could have a higher turnover than expected we could have an investment that wasn't anticipated at the beginning of the year there, there could be good or bad reasons why it's varied. But if I just work on the basis that that's gonna be the same and I silo my workload, then we're not in sync across the business at all. It's about being able to check back in with the financial controller, the CFO, or whatever part of the finance team it is that you work with. It, that might be monthly in your case. It, it, it might be weekly, I don't know, it, it, but it could be quarterly. But it's just about having that super clear dialogue and communicating when we think we're not going to be where we anticipated.
it um, because there's just too many variables. Um, you can do your best. And I do think it's really important to aspire to have a close and tight budget um, where possible and, and a forecast for your own sanity more than anything else at times from a workload and finance perspective. Um, but it is just so important to recognise that's going to be very yeah, understood. And I think let, let's stay with numbers because I think we probably all agree that in order to be able to influence the people who matter in our business, we want to become as data driven as possible so we can translate those numbers to, to facts and to strategies moving forward. For you, Hannah, what are some of the key metrics and indicators that a talent function should be tracking and monitoring to, to display success and to influence things moving in the future? So one of the things that I've, I've noticed, and, and not necessarily just at Renko, but across a number of different businesses that I've been in, is a hiring manager's attitude to, to kind of interview as many people as possible for the role that they want to fill. And whilst I understand where they come from in that perspective, having a really tight ratio from the number of people that we interview to the number of people we offer and hire is actually much more of a productive way to spend our time and money. But it also means that we're nailing the selection process. So if I'm able to identify the right person by their CV or by whatever the recruiters put forward to me or by initial screening phone call, um, it's a much more effective use of my time than sitting down and having a 45 minute interview with, for example, 12 candidates if I only want to hire one. So for me, getting that ratio is actually super, super paramount. And um, that ratio will also tell me a lot about what element I need to fix. If I'm interviewing too many people, is it because the advert is not explaining the job right? Is it because my search parameters are not correct and I'm looking for the wrong person? Is it because I picked the wrong partner? Am I working with an external agency that hasn't understood this and hasn't articulated it right? So I think there are so many things that you can determine from that ratio about where the breakdown in the process is. Yeah, with you. Thanks, Hannah. Ollie, same question to you. Yeah, I, I'd agree with, with Hannah, really. I think it's it's about looking at the data and, and understanding where the blockers are or where 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 the um, where you're being restricted in, in some respects. I mean the the use of data for for us was um, to continue to iterate on the processes that we've got and understand why people so for us at the, at the early stages the pass-through rate was the biggest data that the biggest data set that we were looking at and understanding what our metrics and what our benchmarks were for each of those so if, if something was going under a, per, a certain percentage we'd dive into that data we'd understand why was there any trends in terms of why people weren't moving forward during the process and then at, analyzing it and what we found was a couple of things one of which was um weren't giving people enough kind of um, uh, kind of content or, or uh, managing expectations during that interview. We weren't giving them enough to enable them to show up properly. Um, so we made some changes there. The other was introducing the bar raiser framework. So we were continually upskilling people. But for me, the metrics are um, really defined by the problem that you've got. For us, it was on the pass-through rate. And then on the other aspects, we may look at, at kind of the, the time to hire, for example. Are we optimizing our process enough, or which, which we weren't at a point? By combining stages, by reducing time between stages, we were able to optimize that, which meant, then meant we can solve the problem of hiring people, the best people, but quickly at the same time. So um, I think it's there's always going to be predefined metrics and predefined KPIs within the talent world but each business will have specific needs and each business will have um, a problem they need to solve and, and identifying that what that is measuring the existing data point against the future data point is what how you're going to make quite a big difference great thanks ollie and layer anything to add on, on the metrics that are important to you or is it or is it all customizable based on the business um i would say some key metrics that i always keep in mind are definitely you know time to fill a role uh, sourcing channel effectiveness, um, the quality of hire, the turnover, uh, the cost per hire as well, obviously, um, referral rates. Um, these are to me the most important. And then you can you can track so many things. I feel like 
uh, tracking metrics is definitely key, but sometimes you can also get lost in your Excel or your softwares and you always want to prove things. Um, and um, I think key metrics are definitely important, but you also need to keep the flow going, uh, trust, uh, trust yourself, trust your team. Um, and yeah. I, just to add to that, I think what Leah mentioned there was is something that would be consistent across any business is obviously the quality of hire um, and how you measure that. Uh, because everything else, time to hire, time to fill, time to source, all of that is really irrelevant if your quality of hire isn't isn't at the um, isn't kind of top of mind, really. Couldn't have planned that better because next week's webinar is purely on quality of hire. So we're going to be doing a full conversation around that. So if you're intrigued to find out how and what we should be doing around quality of hire, please tune in for that. Um, final question then, I suppose, just to put a put a bow around this conversation for, for all the panel. So um, Hannah, we'll go to you. If you're, if you're as a talent and people expert, what advice, what's the top line advice you give to somebody who's kind of walking into this situation? They've got a, all these things to think about. It's overwhelming. They needed to set up a talent function from scratch. What's what's the, the things that you would stand out for you? I think um, we've talked on a number of different topics here, but the word priority and, mm. you know, if you're one person, there is a limit to what you can do. So I think understanding a really fundamental difference between what is urgent and what is important is really key because you can find yourself becoming a busy idiot because something lands and it needs a response right away whereas something genuinely important is waiting in the background so i think learning how to identify what's urgent versus what's important is a really really great way of of being able to balance um balance that incredibly chaotic workload that can come from from kind of being a, a standalone um individual in this function but it was one of the first things that I said when we started talking today. I, I still stand by choosing the right partners, like internally, externally, having the right support network to deliver this for me is key. Absolutely. Lay, lay that groundwork. Absolutely with you. Uh, Leia, uh, same question to you. What's the kind of top line final piece of advice for somebody walking into a situation like this? Totally agree with uh, with uh, with Hannah. Prioritize is key. You cannot do everything um, um, all the time. Um, chase excellence, but not perfection. Again, uh, do do as best as you can. But uh, again, nobody is perfect. And if you're the sole um, talent um, expert in your company. Just do your best. I think this is key. Um, and as Anna said, get support externally, internally, get agencies to help you on sourcing, on, on having candidates on as much software as, as, as we can. And obviously internally as well, get support from your co-founders, the leaders, the hiring managers, all the interviewers um, to make sure that um, everyone becomes a, 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 talent, um, a talent expert in the company. Lovely. Thanks, Leia. Final final question. Same to you, Ollie. I guess I can only summarise what Hannah uh, and Leia have said, but I think, look, I think the headline for me is that it's, it's hard work um, and it's and it can be overwhelming. But, you know, you're, you're, you're in that role for a reason. And I think um, uh, kind of trust in the process that, that, that has got you to, to that position. Um, Prioritise and build trust with the people within the business um uh you know both now and, and moving forward but i think that's a big emphasis um that just again i suppose it's just summarizing but try and plan as far as far ahead as as possible if possible um and and um spend time analyzing data but before you do that validate that data and make sure that it's it's accurate and it's the right stuff um yeah, it's a great journey. Like it's 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 a it's a it's a really cool journey to to kind of be going on and continue on, and and so it's it's a lot of fun. So um, yeah, embrace it. It's uh, uh, it's yeah, it, it'll be uh, be a fun journey. Enjoy yourself. That's the most important thing. Is it? Enjoy <laughs> exactly. yourself. Exactly. Perfect. Look, thank you so much. So as Ollie perfectly teed us up with the cliffhanger next week, quality of hires will be what we're talking about. So please do join us for that. Uh, but Ollie, Hannah and Leia, thank you so much for your expert advice today and for being a part of Talent and Growth. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye. See you.